About a week ago, Sarah came to me, as she tends to do, with a stack of papers that she had gotten as she had opened the mail, and she said, hey, would you go through this, and would you um, see what's important? And so I'm flipping through it, and I notice that in this stack of papers, um, there is a rather lengthy letter from the IRS. And the IRS has informed us uh, that we owe them just over $22,000 by the end of the month because they have adjusted our 2020 income tax to reflect unreported income in the amount of nearly $72,000 because someone stole my social security number and filed uh, it for their taxes in 2020 in the amount of nearly $72,000 through PayPal. So I spent part of this past week, though we took some days for vacation, also communicating with my accountant and going through the process of of alerting the IRS and the federal government that my identity has been stolen. Maybe you have had something stolen before. Having something stolen from you, especially when it is something that is your identity, something as as close to that, it leaves you feeling vulnerable. It leaves you feeling uh, afraid. It leaves you feeling um, scared in so many different ways. God in his word values us and values our stuff, and he commands that we not steal, as we'll see this morning. And it's easy for us, I think, a lot of times to, to hear stories like that or even to think back in our lives at a point maybe that you've been conned by a con man or you've been taken uh, by a, a crook of some kind. And to, it's easy for us to say, well, this, if there's any command in God's word that, that I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job of being obedient to, it's this one. I'm not taking things from anybody. But the truth of the matter is, we might be, not be living down necessarily to the negative of this command, but as we have seen, there's more to these commandments than just what is forbidden. There is a positive command that corresponds to it. And though we may not be living down to the negative, we're probably not living up to the positive. The truth of the matter is, just like adultery comes from lust and just like murder comes from anger and hatred, stealing comes from a deep sinful desire inside of every single one of us for things that we don't deserve. In our sin and in ourselves, there's always a looking out into the world and a longing after the things that maybe we don't necessarily deserve. And when we give way to that in any way, shape, or form, we can become vulnerable to the sin of stealing. But God has something more for us. It's not merely just to not give in to this desire for what we don't deserve in stealing, but God has something for each and every one of us, namely that God's people give because we've been given much. Here in this command in Exodus chapter 20, we're just going to read the one verse in verse, six, or verse 15. Again, just two words in the Hebrew. It says this, you shall not steal. Don't steal. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are with us in the dark times and in the difficult seasons. When, Heavenly Father, we feel alone and vulnerable, we know that you are the good shepherd the one who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, the one who gives so many good gifts. And in giving your good gifts, Heavenly Father, you show your glory and you receive glory. And so I pray that this morning you would receive glory as we seek to know your word, as we seek to understand it, as we seek to apply it, Heavenly Father, but ultimately as we seek to allow this passage of Scripture to point us away from ourselves 
away from our sin and to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is perfect in all of his ways, who is glorious beyond compare, who is the one who hung between two thieves as a message to each and every one of us that, Lord God, there is nothing, nothing that would keep us from your grace and your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In our sin, we desire more than we deserve, but God's people are people who give because we've been given much in Jesus Christ. As we start this passage of Scripture and we try to understand God's command of don't steal, we wanna, I want to kind of look at this in, in three um, principles. The first one is that God commands us in this passage of Scripture uh, in not stealing He teaches us that we, first and foremost, we get what God gives. As we see this passage of Scripture, we see in this some foundations of biblical stewardship. The first and foremost being that God owns everything. Okay, we want to lay a foundation before we get to not taking anything. We need to first understand that God is the one who owns everything. The Bible continues to share this over and over throughout Scripture. In Psalm 24, verse 1 The psalmist declares that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those that dwell therein. It's not just the world, it's not just the things in the world, the people that are in the world all belong to God. Haggai 2, chapter 8, or chapter 2, verse 8, the Lord says the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. So even the things of value in this world that you and I fight wars over and that we live our lives oftentimes for, it belongs to God. Psalm 50, verse 10, every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. First Chronicles 29, 12, the riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. God doesn't just own the stuff of the world. He owns the renown, the positions, the authority of the world as well. He owns the glory that any man gives and he is the one who gets it all in the end. Ezekiel 18, verse 4, God says, Behold, all the souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son are mine. It's not just our bodies, it's our souls. It is everything that exists in the world, first and foremost, belongs to God. But this God who owns everything is a God who gives generously. As we want to understand the the three rungs that prop up this principle of biblical stewardship, we see God owns everything, but this God is not stingy with what he has, but instead God gives generously. Psalm 115, verse 16, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. God gives us the realm in which we live. God gives us from the realm in which we live the things that we need for our lives to, to thrive. Joshua 1 verse 3, God tells the people, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. And in John chapter 3 verse 27, John the Baptist declares this, that a person cannot, can, cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. God is a generous God who gives us all that we need for life and for godliness. God has given to us the breath that is in our body. God has given to us the food that is on our table. God has given to us the reputation that is around us and the renown that we can achieve and the the positions that we can climb to. God gives us the finances that are in our bank account. And because God owns everything and because God 
gives everything to us, we also see in Scripture that we are responsible then for all of the things that we have been given. God will hold us accountable for how it is that we use the things that he has given to us. In Matthew chapter 25, we see this in a parable that Jesus teaches. In this parable, there are three servants, and their master is going to leave for a period of time. And so he gives each of these servants a certain amount of money. And two of those servants take that money, the talents that have been given to them, and they go and they invest them. And when the the Lord returns, they are able to give back to the Lord not only what they were given, but the profit off of it as well. But there's one particular servant who takes that one talent that was given to him, and instead he goes and he buries it in the sand. And when the Lord returns, he goes and he digs it up and he brings it back to his master and he gives to him what he received with no interest whatsoever. And he attempts to make an excuse for it. But then that the Lord looks at him and the master answers him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. That's the excuse that the servant gave for not investing the money goes on, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. The two that invested and gave back to the master a return on their investments, they received a completely different word from their master. They received the praise and, and that says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've taken what I, little I gave you, I will make you a, a master over much. So we see in Scripture that God owns everything, He gives everything generously, and because of that, we are responsible then for the things that God has given to us. We're to use God's gifts ultimately for His glory, not to be able to build kingdoms for ourselves, not to amass bank accounts that are fortresses, financial fortresses against anything that might come against us, but instead we are to see everything that God has given to us, our life, our breath, our talents, our strengths, our finances, our experiences as opportunities to make investments in God's kingdom in this earth. So when we understand these principles and we understand that God gives generously for our good, we're responsible for using his good gifts for his glory, that then becomes a bedrock, a foundation upon which the Bible builds the principle of private ownership. Since God owns everything and he gives to individuals and we are responsible for the things that God has given to us, then that means that there are things in my life that are mine from God that you don't have a right to. There are things in your life that you have that have been given to you by God for which you are accountable and I don't have a right to it. The commandment you shall not steal assumes the principle of private ownership. It assumes you and I own things, even though God owns everything and we are stewards of the resources he has given to us. In our lives, you and I have things that are given to us and entrusted to us, and so no one has the right to come in and take it by force or to take it by deceit, which is what stealing is. Stealing is defined as simply this, taking that which belongs to someone else without his or her knowledge or consent. The Bible does not assume communal ownership of everything. And despite certain individuals and their tendency to misinterpret Scripture, God's people have never practiced any form of communism. 
Instead, the Bible teaches that people have property, and that property should be protected by the law. And so God gives this command, you shall not steal. And as I said earlier, it's often easy for us to to look at the wicked thieves and the scoundrels and the pirates and everybody else in the world and say, they're the bad ones in this, they're breaking this command, but me, I'm, I'm pretty good. But as I chewed on this and the application of what it is to not steal, to not take what belongs to somebody else without their knowledge or without their consent, man, this, this, I, I, I ran out of paper on all of the many different ways that this fleshes out in my life and in our lives. First off, it's been committed against me. The Bible says that we uh, condemns man-stealing, which is kidnapping. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, whoever steals a man and sells him And anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. The Bible blatantly condemns kidnapping, human trafficking, chattel slavery of the 1800s and 1700s where people were stolen from their homes and treated as as second-class citizens. But in this also, it would condemn the new wave of identity theft. To steal someone's identity and to use it for your own gain is a violation of this command taking the personal property of anybody else, whether it be through shoplifting, whether it be through armed robbery, but also we could see this in this way, damaging someone else's property without repairing it or paying for it, without offering at least to to pay for what was broken and what was damaged. The Bible condemns False balances. Proverbs 11, verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. It's not okay to use inconsistent or, or evil measurements. Instead, the, and what we are to do is we are to, to pursue justice and we are to pursue a, a just weight in all that we do. So what kind of inaccurate measurements are there? Well, there's scams, cons, those types of things overpriced goods or underdelivered services you ever had somebody who oversold their ability but underdelivered on their performance and whatever it is that they did for you maybe they're contracting uh, building and doing something in your home but also embezzlement taking advantage of the poor all violations of this command Fraudulent merchandise, those snake oil salesmen of the Old West who showed up with something that they swore would do everything and anything, right? You have the guy come to your door who takes that, that liquid, he's had come into my house, right, and he sprays the tires of your car with it and he just shines it and everything else, but then he pulls the thing out and he licks it and says, I can even eat the stuff, but it'll eat all of this stuff off of your car, Right? Manipulative marketing, someone who, who sits and, and produces something or tries to sell you on something that you really don't need. I have a friend who uh, is a UPS driver, and he talks about, especially now in the pandemic, and, but even before that, these QVC salesmen and others who have the, the phone numbers and the, the identities of widows and widowers, people who are trapped in their homes, And what they do is they'll pick up the phone and they'll call somebody and they've got their entire buying record from QVC and going, hey, Mrs. So-and-so, how are you enjoying that microwave that you purchased from us last week? And they start these conversations and actually end up building friendships. And out of that friendship, they begin leveraging and manipulating these individuals to buy things that they don't need. 
And this UPS salesman is showing up with probably thousands of dollars worth of merchandise to leave on their front door, all because of these manipulative marketing schemes. Fraud of any kind is condemned by this command. Counterfeit money, check fraud, insurance fraud. And we might keep, this is one of those that we can say, well, I I don't do any of that stuff. But, you know, I was part of a company that offered, that had customer service. I worked for Starbucks for years. And what about the people who come in and they nitpick your service? There were some people that would intentionally order the single most complicated drink that they could possibly think of, knowing that we were going to mess it up. Why? Because they knew that if we messed it up, not only were we expected from our company to fix the drink in the moment, we were to give them a free drink in the future. That's fraud. The customer's always right mentality lends towards fraud to manipulate rewards systems all for ourselves and our own gain. That is stealing. Predatory lending or excessive interest. The Bible condemns that as an, as an application of this command. Cheating laborers out of their wages. And again, we might say, well, I don't own a company. I'm not a boss or whatever else, and I pay fair wages. But what about refusing to pay a tip for a wait staff? Whether you like it or not, ladies and gentlemen, the fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, that the, the restaurant business assumes tip in the structuring of their wait staff's pay. And when and where you nitpick on service, and I got three refills of water instead of four, so I'm going to dock this person's tip, or I'm going to sit here for two and a half hours in a meeting, and I'm not going to compensate for the fact that I've, con- I've consumed this person's table far beyond what is actually normal. When we jip people on their tips, we are stealing from them. As opposed to loving them. When we choose to give a gospel track instead of a financial tip. If you're going to do anything, at least over tip and leave a gospel track. Here's one that hit me, at least my teenage self. Online piracy. I grew up in the days where we passed CDs left and right and we'd put them in the computer and we'd burn them off of one another and we'd create our own playlists and everything else. I grew up in the day of Napster and all of the different things, but today, what about sharing passwords to certain accounts with people outside of your immediate family and beyond the pale of what Netflix and Hulu and everything else would expect you to, 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 to share with? It's not in your home, it's in somebody else's home. Burning music, ripping DVDs, time theft. Showing up at work. We're in a day and an age now, especially post-COVID, as people are going home, we're seeing businesses who are are beginning to transition to a four-day work week. They're saying, hey, listen, we're seeing that our people are being far more productive in a four-day work week than they were in a five-day work week. We can give them an extra day off. No, you weren't. They were just wasting an entire day's work. They weren't giving their best from the time that they got there till the time that they left. Instead, there's an entire day's worth of their energy and their labor that they've wasted. So now you can create a four-day work week and reward them for their laziness. Standing around and, and engaging with family or friends or whatever else. That happened to me all the time at Starbucks. When somebody's friend would show up and they'd walk off the floor even though they were on the clock and not on a break and leave everybody else short-staffed. Robbing God. Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? 
In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. I will, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God builds into his generosity and into his giving that we would give back to him as an act of worship and gratitude and thankfulness for all that he has given to us. Dave Ramsey and many of the financial gurus say, instead of thinking of the tithe as how much of my money am I going to give to God, we need to rethink it and instead ask the question, how much of God's money am I going to keep for myself? Because God owns all things and God gives to me generously and God now asks me and invites me to, like him, give generously back for the purposes of the investment of his kingdom and for the ministries of his church. So giving to the church, giving to the Lord here through a generous, disciplined practice of tithing is expected from Scripture. We can talk about the amount of tithe and this and that and the other, but the truth of the matter is God expects the disciplined practice of giving the first fruits of your income to the Lord. I'm not one who gets tied up on numbers. It's the disciplined practice of giving the first fruits of your income to God for His glory and for the expansion of His kingdom and His ministry. We could go on and on and on about a myriad of different ways that this command of don't steal fleshes out. But again, just like we saw last week with adultery and the many different ways that that works into our lives, I think that there's plenty here if we really chew on them to condemn every single one of us. That as good as we might think, there's a point in our lives when I've taken something that belongs to somebody else, whether it's time, whether it's attention, whether it's money, whether it's property, that I didn't have their permission or their consent. And so we can know that we have violated this. And this command forbids all of these practices and many more. Instead, the Bible has something better for us. If we're not supposed to take, then what are we supposed to do? How do we receive? We receive through earning. Right? We, We get what God gives, and then God invites us to earn what we get in our life. As I've been studying this, I've been, I've been interested to see how in a real sense, at least in my mind, in my heart, this command seems to be kind of a balance to the Sabbath command. We swing along this pendulum of sin where on the one side, I tend to live as though everything, everything is from me. Right? I work constantly to build my kingdom. I work constantly to build that financial fortress against everything that could be wrong in my life and in the world. And so God, in that fourth command, urges us, commands us, to make margin in our lives where we're going to stop. We're going to refocus our hearts and our attentions on the Lord so that we can worship Him by remembering that nothing comes to us from us, but everything comes from God. But on the other hand, on the one side, we tend to live as though everything is from me. On the other end of the pendulum, we tend to live as though everything is for me. We don't take seriously the part of the fourth commandment where God says, six days you shall work. Six days you shall labor. Instead, we play at working. And we waste our time. And we pluck time out of it to live for ourselves in those moments instead of giving ourselves diligently to the six-day work week so that we may rest in the Lord on the one day. 
Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't have times of respite and rest in the midst of our work week. Nevertheless, the Bible wants us to understand that we are commanded to work, that work is a good gift given by God. That long before sin came into the world, when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he commanded that they would work it and they would keep it. Work is not a result of sin or the fall. Work has been given to us as a good gift by God. And God would, by his word, condemn anyone who chooses willfully not to work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, Even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. There's an expectation in Scripture that we would all participate in work and we would earn then a living. We would earn then the things that we need in this life to be able to live for the Lord and to be able to to live in freedom. We're not free to live as though everything is from us or for us. Instead, we're to know that all that we have is from God and for Him. It's His ownership of all things that then governs our stewardship of our things. And so God invites us then to continue to work for our wages, to strive for success. Paul commanded the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. What's interesting in that particular verse is Paul gives us the reason why we're supposed to be diligent in our work. So that, that shows us the reasoning for it, so that... You may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. When we work diligently, when we work faithfully, we do so as a testimony to those that are around us. If there's anyone in this world who should be known as having a a diligent and a strong work ethic, it should be the children of God. Because Paul later or also invites us in Ephesians chapter 6 to serve as unto God. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as unto the Lord and not to man. The truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, your boss may not be watching. Your supervisor may not be in the room. The truth of the matter is, God is always watching. And God has given to us the good gift of work, and he has invited us into that work, and so he is our ultimate boss. And we can and are invited to work in his strength and for his pleasure, and we are to work as unto the Lord. And that work becomes a testimony to God and to his glory. And it is a witness to the world around us of the faithfulness of God as his children are faithful in all of our earthly tasks. We're to earn what we get, but praise the Lord. This isn't the way that God works in all things. Because this isn't the way that God works in grace. God invites us to earn what we get in this life as far as financial things and material blessings. But the truth of the matter is, when it comes to the greatest gift of all, God's grace, there's no earning that. And whereas you and I might have the tendency to live for ourselves and desire what we don't deserve and underwork to get it. We have an example in Jesus Christ who generously gave all that he had that we might be given what we don't deserve and can never earn. It was Jesus Christ, as I said earlier, who hung there on that cross in between two thieves, two men who had stolen this perfect and spotless and righteous lamb who had never stolen anything 
who had never taken what he didn't deserve or was not freely given to him, who had never dishonored the Lord in any way, shape, or form, who had never defrauded a single person in all of his life. And yet, as that thief called out to Jesus and asked for forgiveness, the Lord was willing to take upon himself the punishment that that thief deserved. And that though you and I, as we ran through that list of things that that are applications of this command, don't steal, and we all stand condemned under the microscope of God's word, the truth of the matter is, despite our condemnation, there is rescue and redemption in Jesus Christ. Because in the end, it's his record of righteousness that stands for all of those who have trusted in him. For all of those who've repented of their sins and put their faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ. It's his record of perfection and not our record of thievery and stealing that stands for us in that end. And when we believe and when we trust that Jesus Christ generously gave all that he had that we might be given what we don't deserve and cannot earn, the gospel then transforms our relationship with our stuff and with the gifts that God has given to us. It can be easy for us to come to a command like this and leave our real obedience on the table. Where we'll say, hey, listen, you know what? I don't take from others what I've not earned and received. And we may even go a little bit step further and we would say, not only do I not take, but I faithfully contribute to society and I am out and I am working and I am earning and I am doing what I need to do. So I'm good and I'm golden in, in this. But the truth of the matter is, just as every of the, each of these commands has a, a negative don't, don't steal, there is a, a positive expectation or command on the other side, and the opposite of stealing is not actually earning. The opposite of stealing is not earning, it's giving. And so we see, last of all, that we must give what we get. What we get comes from God. We can earn the things that we need in this life, but ultimately we are to give what it is that we get from God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, in the famous put off and put on passage, Paul says that the thief is to no longer steal. He's to put off his stealing, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that, here's the purpose, he may have something to share with anyone in need. We must give what we've earned. We must give of what has been freely given to us by God. In God's kingdom, the opposite of stealing is generous giving. The fact that we have received God's good gift should then be something that motivates and compels us to be a people who give generously to those that are in need and to those that are around us. That is the example that we see set in the book of Acts by the early church. Not that they just put everything in one giant pot and everybody got to grab whatever they wanted out of it, but instead we see a people who now understand their citizenship belongs in heaven and that the things of this earth are not permanent at all and so their hands are untied from those things and where when they see a brother or sister in Christ in need, they are willing to take such radically generous steps as selling pieces of property so that they can meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. That is something that the watching world will never understand. You sold that piece of property and you gave the proceeds to somebody else? What, what, what are you getting out of that? There's your investment. What's your return? No, we as a people give 
because we've been given to. That's one of our core values here, is we will give with radical generosity. Why? Because we've been given much in Jesus Christ. And that should shape not only how we live individually in our lives, finding ways that we can give to God's work, to God's mission, and to the people around us, that should structure how we choose to utilize our finances in this church. Our first and foremost thought pattern when it comes to expenditures should be what can we do to serve this community? Is this money for me and for us? Or is this money for our community and for God and for his glory? Which is why I'm so grateful at our December members meeting that it was made a motion and approved by this church that all of the money from last year that we underspent between our budget, we would take a portion of that and we would set it aside specifically to give away to mission projects in this community and around this world. And we're working to find a way that we can do that. But we need to be thinking outside of the box, what can we do for this community that's not just for me? Not just for us. Not just for Spring Creek, but for Clarksville and for St. Bethlehem and for Trenton Road. What can we give because we've been given to? And that should be something that we are known for in this community is that church, if nothing else, they give radically to this community. And it should be true about each and every one of us. Far beyond our finances, it should touch every part of our life, our talents, our resources, our time, My heart is burdened by the reality that it's been a statistic for who knows how long, right? That 80% of the work in the church is done by 20% of the people. And how many Christians will sit back and we will will sit with a, a spirit of condemnation on our heart against all of the freeloaders who are living off of the government and society, and yet we're freeloaders in the pews in the church, living off of the labors of the 10 and 20% who give over and over and over and over again until they have nothing left and we're content to sit and consume. Some of you have talents that you're not putting in place for the purpose of this church and for the glory of God in this kingdom. Some of you have voices that would, would be huge additions or musical talents that would be huge additions to our our worship team some of you have giftings in in teaching some of you have giftings in leading and administration some of you have giftings in many different areas and different realms and yet you're you're waiting for an invitation well you are hereby invited you are hereby invited step up step in there's a place for you to serve we have holes in our sunday school ministry where we need teachers We have holes in our children's ministry where we need servants. We have holes in our student ministry where we need servants. I'm inviting you. Step up and step in. And maybe you're here and you're still on that verge where you're going, well, I don't know what my connection is or anything else. Then I'm inviting you today. Maybe the thing that you need to give to this church is first and foremost yourself. That you've been orbiting for far too long and now's the time that you make the covenantal commitment that, you know what, I'm going to join this church in covenantal membership. And I'm going to give myself here. And I'm going to let this church hold me accountable and I'm going to hold this church accountable for the kingdom of the Lord. And I'm going to give of myself and my time and my talents and my resources for God in this place. Not for this place, 
but for God in and through this place. The Bible tells us that when we live like this, we receive blessing. Why would we choose to leave a blessing on the table? Because listen to the promise from Jesus through Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than receive. The blessing is in the giving, not in the receiving. And so as much as you might be blessed to sit and to, to hear the, the, the worship team sing, as much as you might be blessed in my teaching ministry, as much as you might be blessed in your Sunday school teacher's teaching ministry, as much as you might be blessed in the, the giving to, to your children from the student ministry or from the children's ministry, as much as you might be blessed to get all of those things, the Bible says there's a better blessing in stepping up and stepping in and giving of yourself. And not sitting back and continuing to take and take and take. So how is it that you can step up and step in? How can you better steward the good gifts that God has given to you? Your talents, your time, your resources. All for the good of others and the glory of God. How can you give generously? because you've been given generously to.